Welcome to the Cone Zone. That's the legendary Lowell Cone, my dad. I'm Grant Cone, less legendary. Together, we're the Cone Zone. Title of the show is Why It Took the Niners Three Years to Fix Trey Lance. The uh, big narrative coming out of OTAs is that, you know, forget the last two years of total botched jobs. They, Trey Lance has begun the process of fixing his mechanics. And it's like everyone's giving him a round of applause. Like the last two years didn't happen. So I think it's probably, we're going to talk about, we have some questions. My dad and I are journalists, and we have some questions to address. But first, we want to just talk about the OTA experience. Yeah, could I explain where I'm coming from on this? Yeah. When I used to be a sports columnist a century ago, it was very important. One of the things I did was bring people there. And here's what I mean. I had access to everything. In baseball, I sat in a dugout. Um, I had access to to the 49ers locker room with some very famous players. And what I tried to do within the bounds of propriety was bring my reader in some of the time. So you've never been to OTAs or to minicamp, I would assume most of you. And I would like Iggy to explain what he does. He drives down from Oakland. Take it from there. All right. So you get off uh, 237 at Great America Parkway. You turn left on Tasman. You got the you got the uh, stadium on your right. You park across the street in a parking lot, high rise. Cross the street. You see that big Niners helmet uh, on the corner in front of the stadium. You walk past that and then down sort of like a private road, which is where uh, Jed would drive in. And there's a little media entrance on the right. You go through security. They check you, you, your name's on a list, you say hello, you get a wristband, you walk through, they check all that. What you're entering is the stadium. The stadium, you're entering the stadium, and they used to give us yeah. key cards, but now, since the pandemic, you always lose little privileges as things go on. So now, you check in with security, they look through your bag, they look like they never met you before, you walk to the media room, which is like through one of the uh, lounges, like, it, it's like the very bottom floor story of the stadium you walk around one of the edges get to the media room a room with no windows it's very large it's big enough for you know all the media that would cover a super bowl to be in there and i have a little cubicle so we sit in there and we wait to be gathered by the pr staff we're putting on our iggy yeah who's who's near you at who has josh dubow's to my left eric branch is behind me uh you also have tracy sandler's next to him on the left, Nick Wagner's across from him. Matt Mayoko's way on the back wall. Matt Barrows is way on the back wall. Cam's way down to the left from me. Um, Jake Hutchinson, KMBR, is to the right of Eric Branch. Um, but me and Josh Dubow do a lot of giggling. Me and him sit next to each other. I used to be on your right. You were on my right. No one sits there. Yeah. I wouldn't let it happen. It's the, it's the Lowell Cone Memorial seat. It's the Lowell Cone Memorial seat. Sure. So then finally, uh, one of the PR guys comes in and tells us it's time to go, gives us a roster. And we're all, you know, gooped up with, you know, sunscreen. You walk outside, they take us back where we came in, and there's there's a big white gate, like huge, that separates society from the inner sanctum of the 49ers. And PR staff takes you through there. Then you're in the player's parking lot. So you see all these Lamborghini trucks and, you know, like turquoise Ferraris and stuff, stuff that, you know, only 23-year-olds would buy. Really nice cars. You walk through those and you get you to another 
gate. They don't let you in yet. It's like it's like holding pins one after another. They let you in. They wait for a. They they might let you in like in through the gate in like a little holding pen where there's another gate over by the old um, PR f- training facility right before you get out to the grass. So right when they you hear the the foghorn or whatever the whatever the yeah that horn yeah that horn that horn is when they're like contractually obligated to let you out there they let you out there then everyone kind of like hustles across the field because they want to get especially the cameraman they want to get the as much footage as possible so you cross um one field that's artificial turf then you get to the grass and it's like one field and another field and you're allowed to walk around the perimeter there's certain parts you can't stand and it's like the first 20 minutes are like get as much video footage as you can that's what you got to do there's like three periods and usually it's like they're stretching and then they break up into into position groups and they kind of do individual warm-ups where the wide receivers kind of practice getting in their stances and the, their first couple moves and you, you, you can f- film all of that the, the uh, quarterbacks will do a couple drills you can film that and then then they start like becoming more and more of a team they will go offense and defense after that then you can't film that stuff they start running through the plays they're going to do that day like the defense will run through the coverages they'll do and the offense will run through the runs and the passes they'll do and then eventually they will do like seven on seven competition uh where the offensive line the defensive line will they'll be like still warming up and running through things but everyone else is playing like flag football essentially and they're i mean they're competing as fast as they can Christian McCaffrey's out there. George Kittle's out there. The quarterbacks are competing. It's very serious. People could get hurt. And people could pull things. You see people ruin their knees and stuff. So every, all, all the riders are on the sideline trying to get everything into their books as quickly as possible. I mean, it's very serious. You, you don't want to miss anything and feel like so-and-so down the, down the way got a better look at it. Everyone's trying to confer, hey, who caught that pass? Who was in coverage? Did you see? Sometimes people will tell you. Sometimes people won't, you know? All that stuff's going on. It's it's helpful and it's also competition at the same. It's collaborative and it's competition at the same time. So that's about it's like an hour and a half of watching practice, trying to write as much down as possible. Then it's over. Then you walk back across the field to that big interview room where all the interviews throughout the season are, and you sit there. You wait for Kyle in, to walk to get in in the stadium. In the stadium, the stadium. back back yeah, yeah. under the stadium, back to the stadium. Kyle walks in about ten minutes later. And you ask him about what happened in practice. You ask him about his planet quarterback. You ask, you know, you get him one on one, and then they bring in all three quarterbacks after that. And then you go back to the media room, and everyone's it's very quiet at this point. Now we have to work, and everyone's writing. I will uh, intermittently run out to the the field on Levi Stadium and uh, take little videos of myself wrapping up practice, doing the the quarterback competition, and then people kind of leave without saying goodbye. And it's a long day, and you do it again the next week. It's interesting that the media leave without saying goodbye to each other. And I'm aware of that because I was that way too. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, you don't really give a shit about the other guys. You care what you're doing. And the other is you don't want to interrupt anyone. They're working. They're working. There's a lot of nervous chatter when you get there. But as soon as it's time to work, no one talks anymore. See you next time. Yeah. And in fact, the nervous chatter people, you're really thinking, shut up. Kind of, yeah. And it's like you're probably nervous about the day. And those are the people that are probably most nervous when they're writing that like, oh, what is he going to write? What does he say? Like, I don't. There are certainly people like that. And I'm not going to say, I don't know about this with anyone in that room. So I'm not saying that. 
But when I was in a press box, there were certain people who were known to look at your screen and Absolutely. see what you were writing. And and when they would come by, you'd, you'd put your screen down a little bit. And it was, yeah. and Iggy, you knew that there was certain I, people. I like always that. put my screen down when I walk away from it. I don't want to give people yeah. the uh, the inclination because they'll do it. What's interesting oh, yeah. too is a lot of times when OTAs start, it's late May and the Warriors are still going. So it's just like the Niners beat writers who were there. Warriors are out. So now it was like every freaking Bay Area sports journalist was at this practice. There was It must have been 30 people there. It was amazing. And also, like, the nature of the coverage has changed so much in the last five years. When I first got on the beat, it was, I mean, everyone tried to cover it like Maddie, where you would watch it, and then you might tweet a little bit about it, put a blog about it. But now, everyone covers it like me. Like, everyone has their phone out. They're videotaping 20 minutes. They're putting things on YouTube, like... It's all different, and there's a whole lot of competition, a whole lot of people doing the same thing. Remember how it used to be five years ago, everyone would do the same tweet? Now everyone yeah. does the same video on YouTube. You just gotta, who's going to put it out first? So it's very competitive. It's very competitive, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I bet, Iggy, at the end of the day, you're kind of tired. Extremely it's hard work, tired. Yeah, but like, I wanted to go home and go to the gym. I'm like, are you kidding? I need a glass of wine. I'm tired. I'm going to bed at 8.30. Yeah, it was exhausting. Yeah. And Iggy, is it every Tuesday for a while? Not necessarily. I think it's up to the team. They have to give you one day a week. It could be Monday next week. They don't really tell you until like the week of. So I don't oh, know. You they keep know. you on your toes. You don't know. I don't even know. I don't know. I'm sure I could, I could text them and they could give me an idea. But the coaching staff could change it whenever. So uh, another thing, Iggy Wilkes, you've never seen him work before. Did you get a look at what he's like during OTAs? Is he quiet? Is he noisy? What's he like? I only saw him once. I forgot to look at him, but I did notice him one time. There was one deep throw in all of the, the practice. It was Sam Darnold to Danny Gray. Gray was open. Darnold was late on the throw and the ball was a little underthrown. And the rookie corner in coverage, Darrell Luter Jr., recovered, didn't panic, got his hand up, didn't look for the ball, broke it up, and the defense went crazy because it was a good play, and he's a rookie, and I saw Steve Wilkes go from out of my vision all the way across on the field running to go get him, which is such a, something that D'Amico or uh, Robert Sala would have done, like on the field, so enthusiastic. Done. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and it's something that the D coordinator on the Niners needs to do because Kyle is so dour. He's so like, whenever something good happens, okay, next play, which is fine. But I That's think how Walsh was. It's fine. It, I, I think this team could benefits from having a little energy from the coordinator. What's interesting, though, is that Sala and D'Amico used to coach and call plays from the sideline. Wilkes is going to be in the booth. So we'll see if, I mean, he can't, he can't be running around in the booth. So we'll see if that matters. He, wh why is he going to be in the booth? Well, there are, you can see the field better from the booth. So it's his style. It's his style. I think if I were a coordinator, I'd want to be in a booth. When Kyle was an offensive coordinator in Atlanta, he was in the booth. I think Got you it. see it better. Yeah, yeah, of course. I think you see the full picture. Yeah. And you just talk through the headsets. Absolutely. But you can't, you know, infuse your players with energy and enthusiasm. But really, in the NFL, is that what they need? I don't know. Maybe they just need the right call. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, thank you. I, I, I appreciate your taking people through that. Uh, it explains sort of the dynamic and the protocol there. Yeah, I, there's a lot. And it's like, there's not a lot going on. Uh, so this these practices are gold, and you have a lot of these writers trying to get everything out of them. I mean, there's so much competition to say the most because there's no game on Sunday. There's no transaction. There's, there's no locker room access. Like, this is it. That's this what I was going to ask. 
There's no yeah. locker room access. No. no locker room access. Here's the question. When the players walk off the field, are you allowed to try to approach a player and ask a question? No, you can't do that anymore. I used to do that. You used to do it all the time. You can't do that I could walk up to Joe anymore. Montana and say, Joe, right. you got a minute? And, and Joe would usually say, yeah, sure, Lord. What do you got? And we'd walk yeah. together for about a minute. Yeah. But that's you, over with? You might get tased if you do something like that. I, I wouldn't even. No, you can't do that. Okay. I'm no. sorry that it's uh, that the league has become so restrictive, and I there's a word I would use for that bullshit. I would have to agree, horseshit. Yeah. What's worse, horseshit? And that's a baseball term so. that I learned. I know. You know, I was so innocent. I had come from university, and uh, I we in Brooklyn we said bullshit, but. Frank Robinson and once Frank Robinson said horseshit all the time. That's the baseball word. One yeah. time it was during batting practice and they were having a fielding drill. Uh, I mm-hmm. guess it was at Candlestick Park. And he felt that too many of his outfielders were concentrated in right field. He wanted him more in left and right uh, in left and center. So he moved his hand and he said, could you move the horseshit around a little bit? I like that. I was there when he said it. I like that. I like that. Oakland's finest, Frank Robinson. All right, let's talk about <laughs> Trey Lance. Again, Oy. the story out of OTAs is forget the last two years. Whatever happened, happened, but he's making progress now, and he's on the right track now, and everything's going to work out. But that does raise some questions. Like, first, we okay. know that this guy, Trey Lance, had mechanical issues. They've sort of acknowledged it, and he's fixing them. Did Kyle Shanahan know that Trey Lance needed mechanical fixes when he drafted him. What do you think? Okay. Well, that's a big question. Uh, and there are several questions that we're going to ask. Did Kyle know? Th- and the mechanical issue, you had a guy talking about it yesterday, and he was very articulate and was very good. But to, to, in a nutshell, throwing in baseball and in football comes from your lower body. Correct. It's all the power comes from your legs and your hips and your hips. push and, yeah. and all of that. And yeah. you have to be firmly grounded. Iggy and I know a former offensive coordinator. When Iggy, the very first time that Trey Lance threw in a practice, Iggy put up some video of it. He called Iggy and said, he's got a problem. I'll tell you right now, he doesn't use his yeah. lower body. So yeah. the point is it was visible to someone who right. knew his ass from his elbow. Right. I'm not only saying, did Kyle know it? I'm saying Kyle didn't see what was there. I don't think he's a good quarterback developer because he doesn't understand throwing. He understands catching and running, but not throwing. The guy we know saw it in 10 minutes. I don't think when they drafted him, Kyle had a clue that this kid had a a serious mechanical problem. That's what I think. Yeah, I agree. And like, again, he understands catching and running and and throwing like, Catching and running and uh and, and route running, but that's wide receiver skill sets. Like throw a quarterback throwing, it's almost like a baseball player. I played baseball a long time. You work on throwing, you work on hitting. Those are repeatable motions you do over and over and over again, and you make very slight tweaks, and it's really difficult to master it. And I don't think uh, Kyle Shanahan knows the first thing about those about the grammar of that pursuit. I don't think he knows because he never did I, it. That's right. I I I feel. You know, this guy you had on talking about quarterbacks said that Kyle is the best head coach in the league. I don't agree with that. 
I don't agree. He with doesn't that. know how to do quarterbacks. That's no. that's a, a blind spot. So let's move on logically. Let's say. Well, real he, quick before we move on, I just want I just want to stay here for one more second. I asked Kyle Shanahan, like, you he, Kyle said that Trey Lance improved the base of his throwing uh, at the Dwight Clark Memorial event. So I asked Kyle a couple of days ago, well, what, what do you mean by that? And he was like, oh, you know, it just means that you know he doesn't get his his feet kind of splayed so that he's always in a proper passing position and he's not looking to scramble. It's like. Well, yeah, that's part of it. That I mean, that's a very small part of it. But what about all the other things he's working on? I still, I just don't think Kyle Shanahan um, could really explain throwing mechanics in the level that Austin Carter Samuels did yesterday on my show. I don't think he could do it. I don't think I don't. Not only couldn't he explain it, I don't think he understands it. Correct. Iggy, I used that's to why. be an Eng- a college English teacher and a college creative writing teacher. I was pretty good at it. I couldn't go in and teach physics. It's like this guy knows certain things, but when it comes to teaching quarterbacks, he it's physics and he never took it and he's bullshitting. That's what he knows how to be. He knows how to beat quarters coverage. He knows how to, you know, use motion to create an advantage before the snap, but he doesn't know how to uh, evaluate throwing mechanics or fix them. No. So let's move on logically. Let's say Kyle was astute enough to see that, Trey Lance had a serious mechanical problem. I don't think he was astute enough, but let's say he was. Why do you draft him there? Why, why do you t- trade all those picks and draft a guy with a serious problem? If you knew what was going on, you'd say, you know, he's a gorgeous athlete. He's a nice kid. I don't I don't want a project. Certainly not. Iggy, what did they take him? Number three? Yeah, and they traded up to get him. They essentially spent three years worth of first round picks plus yeah. third round pick on him. So, so you you spend all of that on a guy who has a serious mechanical problem. Yeah, that is not easy to fix. Yeah. So what happens on a win now team, and he's twenty. On a win now team, so what I think is they drafted him. He didn't even know he had a problem. Yeah. And then he got him, and the and the, the throws were wobbling and weren't coming out right and he had arm fatigue and Kyle didn't know why didn't know why no let's say he did know why but he didn't then you say okay you've wasted all you've spent all this draft capital to get him what's your plan because yeah. you got a guy who's a very good athlete but he's not NFL ready what's your plan right. yeah. was there a plan his his well, plan was I- go out jump in the deep water and see how you do yeah Absolutely. And also, you know, he was working with some uh, off-season quarterback coaches, uh, John Beck and Quincy Avery. They didn't seem to get results, and now he's not working with them anymore. So if that was part of the plan, like, hey, we, we want you to go see John Beck, well, that didn't work. So wh- why is he on plan B? Like, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but wh- whatever plan they had didn't work. Yeah. And the, so, the only reason you could draft him is like, okay, if you saw it, like, oh, we can fix this. John Beck is perfect. He'll be he'll fix this. I guess not. Also, I think they didn't understand what the problem was. And they said, we'll send it to some quarterback guru. He'll diagnose the problem and fix it because we don't know what's going on. That's right. where I think he's at. Right. And what was interesting was the quarterback guru I had on yesterday, Austin Carter Samuel, said, well, it's possible that John Beck looked at Trey Lanson said, you know, I have to make wholesale changes with you, but I'm afraid to do that because you might get even worse. And, you know, the Niners, I haven't gotten the the license from the Niners to do that with you. Whereas now the Niners are all in with Brock Purdy. 
Trey Lance goes to a different coach, that coach can say, hey, man, you know, you either do this or it's over for you. What do you want to do? So maybe that's why he's all of a sudden making wholesale changes. But I don't and, understand and why this took to year three. It didn't need to come to this. He is improving a little, but your expert said he's only half the way there. Right. And again, we're like, okay. he's half the way through his rookie contract. Like, how, how did it have such how a delay? It, and, and, and I was... And, and, keep going. Well, my next point is, why do they have to outsource teaching of quarterbacks? Yeah. I mean, did Bill Walsh outsource Steve or Joe? No. I mean, who's the quarterback coach there now? Brian Greasy. Greasy. Isn't he supposed to know this stuff? He was a quarterback. He played the position. Yeah. Isn't he supposed to say... Hey, stay on the ground. Yeah. Don't be so high up. Yeah. Don't be an arm thrower. Be a body. Here's thrower. a drill. Here's a drill yeah, to fix it. Here's yeah. a drill. And, and yeah. this guy couldn't do it. So they had to outsource it to two different people, two different yeah. groups. What does that say about the 49er coaching of, of quarterbacks? And this is one of the most rich, the richest quarterback traditions in the league. There was Y.A. Tittle. There was John Brody. There was Joe. There was Steve. There was Jeff Garcia. And now they don't seem to know jack about how to handle or diagnose or fix a quarterback. It blows my mind, Iggy. Yeah, and they keep saying stuff like, well, it's not really our job to, ah! you know, like fix his, his mechanics. Like that's sort of his job or we don't have the time and the resources. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Bill Walsh did it. You know, he wasn't he wasn't outsourcing the Joe Montana project to someone else. He wasn't outsourcing the, the Steve Young project to someone else. Uh, Andy Reid developed Patrick Mahomes on his own. Mike McCarthy, who no one respects, developed Aaron Rodgers, completely overhauled his throwing mechanics, had him throwing completely differently by his third year in the league. He did it. So, guys, people can do it. And it seems like if you can do it, that means that you're probably a really good coach and you have a very valuable skill set Kyle has a lot of good things going for him but I don't think he can do this he hasn't done it and then it, Iggy it brings us to I think our final point if you don't mind on quarterbacks yeah. what his philosophy is I believe his philosophy is I don't know my S or my L about quarterbacks I'm going to screw this up so last year they were in a pickle. They didn't even want Jimmy Garoppolo. They didn't even let him practice. He was he was like the odd man out on on another field. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jimmy's hanging around. Maybe he'll save our ass. So they got Jimmy. Then Jimmy got hurt, and then they had the last guy in the draft who was hanging around. Mm -hmm. And they said, "Oh, maybe he'll save our ass." So Kyle's philosophy is, I go with the quarterback who's hanging around. Yeah. God help me. I, I need a quarterback who's hanging around. Yeah. The hanging around plan. So the hanging around plan. So whoever the, the, the starting quarterback on the 49ers is whoever saved Kyle Shanahan's ass most recently. Yes. That's his, yeah, that's, it. that's his philosophy. That's it. And, and they try to act like once that quarterback comes out of nowhere, exceeds expectations and saves his ass, he's like, oh, well, we saw him coming all along and that's our plan. That's what we're going with from now on. It's like, no, nah, until, until he gets hurt and the next guy saves your ass. And then that's your starting quarterback. <laughs> Right. And it could be Darnold, it could be Trey, it could be Brandon freaking Allen. Whoever yeah. saves your ass is the guy you love. And True. whoever saves your ass is the guy you never developed. He was just right. hanging around. And you didn't hanging around. care about him. And Yeah, and you spent you, all your efforts on this guy, and all your efforts were counterproductive. Right. And what happens is you get on your knees and you take your hands and you pray and you say, God, Thank you, Brock. please give me a savior because I don't know what I'm doing.
I don't know what I'm doing. So it's like, all right, well, the, the last pick in the draft is going to exceed expectations and save your season in your ass. But you're not going to win a Super Bowl. If you want to win a Super Bowl, you actually have to finish this project that you undertook, and that's on you. I can't do it for you. Well, the other that's thing that's blessed. interesting to me here is that we talked about they outsourced the throwing uh, teaching. Yeah, and he's on his like, third personal off-season coach. And this guy... So Matt Barrows broke the story that... Uh, he, well, he interviewed Jeff Christensen. He interviewed Jeff Christensen, who Trey's been working out with this offseason, the new coach. And Barrows asked him, um, well, who linked you up with Trey? And Christensen wouldn't say. He's like, I, I'm gonna, I respectfully decline to answer that question. To me, if the Niners put him in contact with Trey, you would say that. There's nothing to hide. The fact that maybe they didn't means like, that's kind of, like did Trey do this on his own? Jeff Christensen also coached Jimmy Garoppolo for a long time back in high school. Did Jimmy on the way out say, hey, Trey, they're screwing you. Don't go to their guy. Go to my guy. Wouldn't that be quite interesting? Whoa. Wouldn't that be very interesting? Hey, dude, yeah. they don't have your best interest in heart. Please, believe me. Go to Jeff. Go to Jeff. He'll help you. Wouldn't that be amazing? A little bit of leadership on the way out from Jimmy Garoppolo. Thank you, Jimmy. You know what also would be amazing? If Jimmy what? plays better for the Raiders than he did for the Niners. That would be amazing. Did you hear about Jimmy today, though? Did you hear about the news? No. You might have no. missed this. Uh, he had surgery, additional surgery on his foot in March. He failed his physical with the Raiders. They signed him anyway. He's out indefinitely, not at OTAs. Really? So the Jimmy Garoppolo experience continues, and now it's the Raiders' problem. Aggie, I didn't know that. This is a news to me. But it has wow. implications for the Niners because the Niners were adamant that his – foot had healed properly that he was close to coming back to playing that he didn't need an additional surgery and they were wrong again again so jimmy needed two surgeries to come back from his broken foot trey needed two surgeries to come back from his broken ankle remember he had, he had an additional surgery in december what's going on in santa clara i hate to come down on the on the doctors and stuff but whatever the process is over there is not working out so great yeah and they at the end of the season uh, in the playoffs they were saying they were sort of pushing Jimmy to be ready to play when clearly yeah. now he wasn't. So Absolutely. maybe there's also, you know, and Kyle is a desperate quarterback coach because mm -hmm. we say he doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe part of his desperation is pushing guys too soon. And I'm saying I don't know that for a fact, Iggy. I'm saying I think it's possible. What's happening with Brock possible. now? What are we hearing Kyle say about Brock? Oh, he's going to yeah. be with the expectation that he'll be there for week one. Iggy, I, if he's there for week one, they're going to get him killed. I agree. I really I hope don't that like doesn't that. happen. I, know, I, I don't, don't want that to happen to that kid. He's such a good story and seems like such a nice young man. I, I hope that someone is looking out for his interest. Let's stick with what you said before, though, that Kyle's desperate and he pushes these quarterbacks back on the field too soon. Remember 2020. So 2019, they go to the Super Bowl. They had the opportunity after that they lose to get Tom Brady. They don't get him. They come back. Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. Week two, like, like Trey last year, okay? So he gets hurt. He injures his ankle. They push him to come back. He comes back week five. He gets hurt again. Then he shuts himself down, misses about 10 weeks with an ankle injury. I think Kyle Shanahan thought he should have came back and played through it at the very end of the season, and then they get Trey Lance. I bet it was because of that. He's like, oh, he's not. He doesn't love football, or he's not tough. I don't know, man. Maybe you just push these guys back too soon, and someone has very to stand up to you. Yeah. Again, I, I, I always say there is someone... He, Kyle needs an older person 
to ask him all the hard questions. He needs a, an older person in his staff to hold up the mirror to him and say, What's, this is what you're doing. Let's talk about it. He thinks he has that guy. He thinks it's his dad, dad but it's not. It's, it's not. not. You can't have your dad do that. No, I don't he won't hold the mirror you. to you. No, you can't. You, you, we don't hold the mirror up to each other. We don't. Because no, I love you too much. Yeah. You really suck. You really suck, but I can't tell you. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, let's answer a couple questions, then we'll get to our final topic. Last Second Sports, Jesse Naylor says, best show of the week. I love the show because it feels like a phone call to catch up on life, but for us to watch. Hope to meet you in August, Lowell. Thanks, Jesse. Is Jesse coming out here? He is. He's staying with us, with me and Swasti for a few days, and we're going to be going down to uh, training camp together because that's open to the public. He can, he can be in the stands and get a better viewpoint than me. Maybe we could have dinner one night. I think that would be the ticket. Go to Pearl. Your house, my house, Pearl, whatever you'd like. Jesse, let's make a date. I, I would love it. The idea when we started this show was that we sh it should just have the vibe of a phone conversation. These are what a lot of our phone conversations are like, although we don't only talk this, about sports. This is what we talk about, uh, but we do talk about a lot of other things. Flave says, lol, Trey's inexperience is well-documented. Now he's coming off major injury and making major changes to his mechanics. Realistically, how likely is it that Trey plays well at the start of this year? Okay, that's a really good question, Flave. Um, I think that needs to be determined. I think I've heard Steve Young talk about it, and he says, you'll know in training camp if this kid's learned. I heard him say that. So, Iggy, you were there, yes, um, two days ago. I wasn't. Would you say he looks like a starting quarterback? Yes. He needs to be much better at the quick, short throws. You don't need to throw him hard. You need to have, you need to be able, it's like the pitcher who fields a ground ball but can't throw it to first. You know what I mean? Because all of a sudden yeah. he can't throw it as hard as he can. Like you need to be able to th hit all those little gimme layups. And what's interesting in the seven on seven drill, it felt like Kyle was just drilling that into him. It was like a uh, quick throw in the flat to the right, quick throw in the flat to the left, quick throw in the flat to the right, left, right, left, over and over again. And Trey was hitting him. I mean, he wasn't throwing him too hard. He wasn't firing him over guys' head. He wasn't clanking him off their faces. Little things like that he needs to do because we've seen him throw the ball down the field. We've seen him do difficult stuff. He has to do the easy stuff that Brock can do. Iggy, is Trey still an arm thrower or is he using some of his lower body? He's using more of his lower body. What Austin Carter Samuels said yesterday was it was in the past it was 90% arm, 10% lower body. Now it's like 50-50. It should be 80-20 lower body. Time. Got it. So he's, he's well, you know. Good for him. Yeah. Good, good for, for him. him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Sanders says, Jimmy Garoppolo, handsome, rich, never has to work. Some guys. <laughs> That's been my life. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let's talk. Where in the world is Debo San Diego? Remember that show, Carmen San Diego? It was like on Nickelodeon when I was a kid. We used to watch it together. KQ was it Nickelodeon or KQED? I don't remember. But it was a great show. I think it was great Nickelodeon. Game. Could have been. Okay. So now we're looking for Debo. He didn't show up to OTAs last year. He was in a contract dispute, and he was really mad about it. And this year, he has nothing to be mad at. They gave him all the money. They, he's got he's the man, and I guess he feels nothing to prove in May. What do you think of him not showing up? Okay, I have definite feelings about it. Now, other people didn't show up. Uh, Trent Williams, Javon Hargrave, Nick Bosa. Okay, I give them a pass. I understand. But when I look at um, Debo Samuel, 
he had a down season last year. Iggy, mm-hmm. is it fair to say? I don't mean he had a mm-hmm. bad season, but from his standards, he he wasn't what he had been. Right. I also feel that because he kind of held out, he wasn't really in shape mm-hmm. the way he had been before. He's a great athlete uh, mm-hmm. and, and <clears throat> he's a great player. I think you want to make a statement mm-hmm. to your team, to your coaches, and most important, to yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm here to kick ass. Yeah. I'm here to play like Christian yeah. McCaffrey is doing. I'm here right. to play. And I, why he wouldn't be motivated to do that escapes me. Yeah. And it feels, um, how do I want to say, like someone who's self-entitled, who's entitled, immature. Mm-hmm. Now, he may be, I've never met him. He may be a very nice man. I'm not attacking his character, but I am questioning the way he comports himself as a teammate and professionalism player as a professional. Yeah. Professionalism, you know, his whole contract dispute a year ago, they were always going to give him a good, he acted miserably, unprofessional unprofessional, and he he put himself and the organization in a very bad light. I I, I didn't, it didn't need to come to that. It was never going to, it was never going to get ugly. It didn't need to come to that. And he got, he, he took it there in March. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm saying with all of that history, yeah. he should have been the leader. He should have been the first one on the field. He should have run every drill. He should have encouraged other players or given um, some of the young wide receivers tips and wisdom. And the idea that he f- exempted himself from that, I find extremely disappointing. And I'd even go further, Riggy. If I were running that team, and I had a chance, not this season, but after this season, to trade him, I would. I would too. He doesn't want to yep. be a leader on your team. It's so clear. No. He's not a he's not a captain. He's one of your best players, but he's not a captain, and he doesn't want to be. Meanwhile, Christian McCaffrey is there, it's, and it's not like look, I understand Hargrave and uh, Trent Williams not showing up. They're like thirty. Har- Williams thirty five. Hargrave's thirty. Um, yeah, don't go. This guy's twenty seven. Coming off a down year where he was out of shape. Nick Bosa, do whatever you got to do. Uh, he's always going to come to the team in yeah. shape. I don't. I, you can't say that about Debo Samuel. No. 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 So it's discouraging. Was Ayuk there on Tuesday? Yes. Fred was Warner he- was there. Fred Warner showed up, didn't practice. Nothing. No need for him to practice, but he's, he's a leader of the team. He's a captain. He's there. Right. He has Freaking pride. Showed up. So it meant he was there. He was looking, and he was in the locker room with them. Eric Armstead was practicing. Uh, George Kittle was practicing. Kyle Juszczyk was practicing. What? What are you doing? And you know what, Iggy? (laughs) If I were Juszczyk or one of those guys, I would certainly notice that Debo wasn't there. Yeah. I would. Do you want to be on this team? How much? What does it mean And how much are you going to contribute? Right, because last year, again, they didn't start fast. He didn't start fast. They didn't win a Super Bowl. He was never in peak shape. If they're going to win a Super Bowl this year, they're going to need to start fast like they did in 2019. And that means they're going to need to take these practices seriously like McCaffrey is. They're going to need to be in peak shape week one like McCaffrey will be. Will Debo? Don't know. Haven't seen him. Yeah, and Debo could say, well, they're not required. Right. But a real football player, a real team man comes specifically fine, because fine. they're then, not required. Yeah. Fine. Then then if you don't care about being a leader on this team and a captain and you just say you'll show up when you show up, you better be in peak freaking shape like Nick Bosa. Yeah. You better be. 
because we know he will be. We don't know what you do. You, you're the guy who eats a full box of Mike and Ike's a night. We don't know. What's that? Sorry. Mike and Ike's are, you know, it's like Skittles, candy. But we, but let's be clear. We don't know that he does that. Well, he was at a, uh, he was at a Warrior game with a full box of Mike and Ike's just crushing them. So it's on camera. I don't know if he does it every night, but sometimes him and a bo- box of Mike and Ike's, you got to, can't, can't keep him away. Sorry. I'm not shaming maybe him. Maybe he didn't eat the whole box. Maybe, maybe he, he didn't eat the whole box. Also, it matched his outfit. Maybe that's why he had it. Anyway, Debo, we'd like to see at OTAs. He'll be at minicamp, though. It's mandatory. When is minicamp? Three weeks. And how long does that last? Usually three days, but then the coach cancels the last day, sort of to be like the cool teacher that leads that lets his students out to summer break a day early. Always they want, want the students to like them. Let Every me ask time. You a question, Igly, if you were the coach, would you cancel the last day? No, no, no. I'm sorry, guys. We're trying to win the Super Bowl. Who wants to win the Super Bowl? Raise your hand. Yeah. It also. In the modern NFL, they don't have that many opportunities to practice. You know what? We have Harbaugh an opportunity. used to do it too. It was weird. He would have Guy Fieri come and he would cook a whole barbecue. It's like, guys, come on, what is going on here? The season starts pretty soon. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's what I would do. Yeah, Guy Fieri, when you covered the sport, they they had two a days. I mean, they had so much time to prepare. It's not like that anymore. No, now it's really they've made it sort of dandified. You know what I mean? It's yeah. It's, Almost like a part-time job. It really is. It's, and it's, it sucks for the younger players because, again, it makes it so much harder to develop younger players. Less, yeah. less uh, practice time. Who does that benefit? Older players. Who negotiates these collective bargaining agreements? The veterans with the owners. So every time they change it, it, it suits 29-year-old to 33-year-old football players more, who, who are guys who really can't do it every day. Their bodies break down. It's violent. I want to say one other thing about Debo Samuel. Iggy, you probably might not have even been born, but when Jerry Rice seriously hurt his knee and he didn't play, I was there. And here's what would happen at practice. Jerry couldn't play. He was hurt. Mm -hmm. Jerry didn't sit on his tush. I would see him after practice. And it was like, you know, late, the shadows would be on the field, you know, and he'd be alone. And he'd run the whole perimeter. Sometimes it was slow, mm-hmm. it, but he was Jerry Rice, and he had such pride. Iggy. And he and every day it became a little more intense, a little faster. And he was a lonely man running in the dark. Do you know what I'm saying? But he wasn't behind and, closed doors. He was in front of everyone. Look at me. Look at me work. Yeah. Look, Look at, at me, me work. work. I'm coming. And I haven't seen that from Debo Samuel, the 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 lone man running in the dark. Yeah, I actually wrote down 10 minutes ago, and I wanted to mention, what would Jerry Rice do? Ah. Would Jerry Rice not show up to OT? Like Jerry Rice, like he would show up this week if you invited him, and he would do every single drill. He would he run would. through every he route. Right. Like, he would. He's right now. With a smile on his face. Like Jerry Rice is probably in better shape right now than Debo Samuel. Right now. <laughs> I could be positive. <laughs> and so I, we've seen Debo Samuel have an all-time great season. He was an all-pro when he was what he was doing after the catch was like some of the most impressive stuff we've seen a wide receiver do after the catch since Jerry Rice. He has that potential. Now you got to be consistent. Yeah, Jerry I was. Tell you a story about uh, Jerry Rice. Obviously, Bill Walsh 
really loves him as a player. So one day um, when he was coaching Stanford the second time and I was writing a book on them, we were in on the road and uh, I forget where, and the the team was getting dressed and they were going to go out on the field shortly to play the game. And Bill could be very um, perceptive and philosophical. Mm. He said, he liked to talk to me. We were there and he Mm. said, Lowell, look at the players getting dressed. You know, they're getting ready for battle. That's what Mm. they're doing. And he said, I always watch Jerry Rice get dressed. He said, he didn't know it. I would, I would stand somewhere else in the locker room, but I would watch him and I would see everything with Jerry had to be perfect. His mm. shoes would be lined up, his uniform, and he put. He said he he put the uniform pants on, and they, he would look in the mirror, and they had to be perfect. And mm. his jer- and his shoulder pads, and his jersey. And then he said the last thing, he had a little towel that he would put in his waistband, Iggy, and he said he would take the towel and fold it in maybe quarters or whatever, and it had to be perfect. He said, Lowell. Jerry's lines had to be perfect. And then he put it in and then he got his helmet and he said, now he was ready for battle. And yeah. this was years after he had coached him. And I thought, right. Be, the idea, he was a perfectionist. Again. Obviously it was a, it was a microcosm for how he did his entire job and lived his life. Yes. And, yes. and I, somehow when we were talking about Debo Bill telling me how he used to secretly watch Jerry get yeah. dressed resonated with me. And I, I don't know how Debo dresses, but it strikes me he's not a perfectionist like Jerry. Right. Well, what some coaches say is how you do <coughs> anything is how you do everything. So a perfectionist is a perfectionist all the time, not just with his route running or his practicing. It's everything, how you get dressed, how you, how you prepare your meals, everything. It's probably down to a science for Jerry. Iggy, how you put things in your locker. How you put things in your locker. Do you throw your shoes shoes in? Or do you line – Bill, in front of his locker in the 49ers or at Stanford, he used to take off his sneakers when he was going to take a shower and get dressed and go home. He would take off his sneakers and his little white socks, and he put them in the shoes and line them up perfectly right in front of his locker. I saw him do it all the time, and I I realized – Sorry, keep going. No, what were you going to say? So Bill was a perfectionist like Jerry, and he was one perfectionist admiring another. Absolutely. This is my kind of player. Oh, I would do the same thing with, with my pregame, with, with my you know outfit for the day. I'd line it up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I liked Bill because he saw things that other, maybe even the writers didn't see. And he would explain it to me in language I would understand and get and appreciate. Yep. Well, that's interesting. It seemed like Joe was a bit of a per- perfectionist too. I mean, he perfected all the footwork that uh, Bill Walsh taught him. Taught him, excuse me. Uh, Steve Young spent years perfecting it as well. And Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan appears to be a perfectionist for what he's demanding from his players, at least in his scheme. If Debo's not a perfectionist on that level, I'm with you, man. Trade him. Sorry, he's 27. Yeah. It's not It's not in him. You can't call him young or immature anymore. You can call him immature, but it's. It, this is it. He's in his prime. This is it. This is who he is. Iggy, I'm going to say one other thing. I know I'm drifting about players' lockers. I used to look at them, 
And I, in general, there are obviously exceptions, but in general, I felt offensive players were much neater in their lockers than defensive players, especially defensive linemen. I would look and they would throw things. They wouldn't line up their shoes. And here's my cockeyed theory. It was because they like chaos. They create chaos. Yeah, you mess things up. You blow things up. They mess things up. Yeah, offenses are all about formations and, you know, timing and all that. Yeah, I agree. And and what these guys are trying to do is break down order. Break down the yeah, break down the timing, all that stuff. Yeah, all that. And you, I felt you could see it in their lockers. So when you look around my desk and you see that it's a little disheveled, it's not that I'm not a perfectionist. It's just that I'm a defensive player at heart, Bill. (laughs) Dad, (laughs) the coach has agreed that situation got nasty quick. Read Debo Samuel not showing up to OTAs is remarkably tone deaf. He's making himself a target. Now he better be in shape in camp. Yeah, to be fair, it is voluntary. And if he shows up in shape like Nick Bosa. Great. No one's going to say anything about it, but I just don't know if you have it in you, Debo. We already said something about it. He should have been there. He should have been there <laughs> yeah. for a lot of reasons. And Nunez says wasted $100 on a Debo jersey. Should have got Christian McCaffrey. Well, now that McCaffrey's on the team, it does make Debo a little redundant, superfluous. I mean, at least the Debo he, that, we, that they had last year. Anyway. That's all. That's the whole show we got. I thought it was a really good show, Dad. What do you think? I, instant, I love- instant review. <laughs> okay, instant review. I felt we had good topics. Yeah. I liked the music. I felt we could dance to it. Yeah, I thought so too. Had a beat. You could dance to it. <laughs> had a beat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, my dad's coming over for dinner tonight. I am. So if you want to live vicariously through the cones, you can just imagine this conversation. Picking up again around 6 o'clock tonight in my house. So thank you for eavesdropping the last hour, 45 minutes. I love you, Iggy. I love you too, Dad. I'll be back at 3 o'clock with Jason Aponte for the uh, last leg of this marathon. See you then. And you'll.